My name is Amanda Van Annen. Welcome to Beauty and the Beat. Join me and my co-hosts, Betsy Zane and Sophia Brad, as we pierce beyond the beauty myth and get face-to-face with reality. Highs and lows of fashion to the challenges of motherhood, the traumas of life, heartbreak of relationships gone wrong, and how to find purpose and discover your true, authentic self. Hi everyone, it's Amanda again, and welcome to this episode of Beauty and the Beat. Today in the studio with me is Benita Conde. Benita uses a life coaching and consulting approach for people who want to radically love their whole experience. Benita is an advertising industry expert with 20 years of experience supporting and guiding the careers of creative people. She held leadership roles in resource management, project management, recruiting, and talent development at agencies such as Fallon New York, BBH New York, Anomaly New York, and the talent business. As a former ballet dancer, she brings devotion and her love for choreographic movement, creative collaboration, and creative passion into all she does. The focus always is to align people and businesses to their infinite potential through developing their personal calling and business missions and radically prioritize action taking from the aligned and inspired place. Benita, welcome to Beauty and the Beat. Thank you, Amanda. It's wonderful to be here. Yeah, I'm so happy to have you here. You know, I know you're a life coach and I've been researching a lot on your website and about your your career journey up till here. But what I wanted to know is, how did you get here? Because I always like our audience to know what the journey was and how you got to this place. I will try to keep it as succinct as possible. I think, you know, it's been a lifelong journey for sure. This particular moment that I'm in, having my own business, integrating all of the different aspects of my past experience into a role as a life coach, which I don't know if I necessarily love that title, but there's no other that is so clear (laughs) that says like, I work with people across their whole life experience, whatever might be coming up and going on and create more clarity, expansion, excitement, and really manifest or design a radically love life and unconditionally love life. And to get there, yeah, it's been a lot of twists and turns. As you mentioned in the introduction, I originally was very, very focused on being a classical ballet dancer. So when I was eight years old, I knew I wanted to dance professionally. I committed to that. I trained for it. And I danced until I was 22 and and did end up dancing professionally. And when I quit, I really felt like, wow, I've already had a profession. I have a whole nother, like a whole second life now starting. And I was living in New York City and um, you can reinvent yourself in New York City pretty easily, I found. And so I worked in the fitness industry for a period of time and was a director of operations at a small creative business that a friend of mine had. And in working with him, I found my way to a recruiter who helped me find my way into working for a creative director in the advertising industry. And I worked in the advertising industry for a long time and in roles supporting creative people. And in my last few years in that world, I really came to question what was missing. It just felt like something was missing for people. Also along the way on that journey, I got sober. So I've been sober for 13 years. And this moment in time where I was really starting to question 
if the industry aligned for me, what was happening in the industry, I was really starting to feel like the essence of love was missing from the industry. It was, it is very competitive. It's a very intense and hardworking industry and also very insecure. There's a lot of insecurity and fear and lack of belief in that world. And I had been sober for a very long time and I felt that the rest of my life was quite secure and healthy and had evolved in really wonderful and beautiful ways. And sort of the industry and who I was were no longer aligning. And at that point, I also have had a seven-year-old son. So he's 10 now. Yeah. So this was three years ago. And I really just started to look at like what element in my life, you know, is causing the most anxiety is kind of like bringing up the most catalyst and contraction. And it was really my relationship to professional identity. How was I giving my power away and what was lacking in that world? So that's where sort of the thesis of creating a radically loved life came from was that love was missing from that world, at least from my experience of it and working with hundreds of creative people. And so I hired coaches. I resigned from my full-time job. I um, We had a few months of savings, which for some people is a lot. And for other people, not very much at all in terms of taking that kind of leap. But as a family, we decided to do that. I'm married. I've been married to my husband for 13 years, 14 years, and we've been together for 24 um, in total. Wow. Yeah, we met as young kids in New York City. <laughs> so you were married whilst you were going through all these changes. For the most part, yeah. Um, I got sober um, after a year of marriage Mm -hmm. and yeah, then had my son a couple of years later, continued to work in the advertising industry. And then in the last three years, have been, you know, creating and continuing to develop my own business after starting that three years ago. I asked about that because, you know, one of the reasons I, I said that was because a lot of women in today's world feel like they're not sure if a partner can go along with them on that journey mm, yeah. of finding themselves or developing a career. You know what I mean? Yeah, both. And that's why I was like shocked when you said, I mean, I shouldn't be. I should actually be like, oh, yeah. But, you know, in today's world, I find most successful women or women that are just trying, striving in the career field find it's really hard to do with a partner. It's interesting. I think, yeah, I think there's a lot of belief around that, um, Mm -hmm. a lot of story potentially around that in the conditioning, especially, you know, I'm 45. I was raised in the like mid seventies to kind of the early nineties at home, you know, in my younger years. Mm -hmm. And there was really a like, Hey, as a woman, you can do it all. But there wasn't a lot of conversation around how you create flow Mm -hmm. with that, how you create, you make you have discernment about what that means for you Mm -hmm. or that you follow your intuition and you maybe don't have it all like somebody else has it all or that it's all career and many kids and a long-term partner. Like it doesn't have to tick all of these certain boxes of like the conditioned version of what having it all is. And I feel like that's really being unpacked now. I feel like the collective consciousness is understanding more and more that there are infinite and unique ways for each individual to feel like they have whatever it all might mean for them, but that that might look very different for someone else. And yeah, I've been absolutely blessed with a partner who I would say is very grounded in his own truth. Like he has his own business. He very much like operates in the world from a place of knowing himself. And so 
at these moments along the way, he's definitely been able to say like, yeah, yeah, like I'm here with you. Like, let's try that. Let's see what happens. Mm -hmm. Or he's wanted to try something new and it's like, yeah, okay, try that. Let's see what happens. And it's taken years of both of us developing who we are and growing both as individuals and together. And there's certainly been incredibly challenging moments, like getting sober while you're one year married is, I wouldn't recommend it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, there's like another way to do but, it. But he was there for the journey, he you know, still, yeah, and he that's did. He really, stayed. really important to let people know that, you know, cause I have a lot of female friends and male alike. And I find that there's still like what we were talking about where a lot of my friends, I guess, especially in the big cities, you know, yes. New York, Los Angeles, London, feel like they have to go it alone. Yes. Because I feel that sometimes when they have a partner, even though the partner does not mind them having a career, there becomes a disconnect at some point when it's like, who's taking control of this relationship? That's a great, that's a really interesting like word and right and that sense of control in the relationship. I think another aspect of this that's coming up for me a lot, because I talk a lot about relationship with my clients, more challenging, I think, as part of the narrative and these Mm -hmm. stories that we're talking about that are in the collective consciousness is the idea of equality in a relationship. I have not come to find in my 24 years, in mine, that that happens like where everything is equal. Oh, Mm -hmm. this person does this amount on this thing and the other does this amount on this thing and it always balances out. And if you're looking for that, that would be a journey, I don't think, where you would end up in a happy place. But what we have found happened is more of an equitable approach, right? We're like, Mm -hmm. so I focus on my business two and a half days a week. So Thursday, Friday, and every other Wednesday. And my husband does his business Monday, Tuesday, and every other Wednesday. And the other days we lead our son's schooling. Mm -hmm. So we have been doing school from home for three years. So this is our third year. So we have interwoven what all of our needs are and our interests and our businesses and our ways of like generating abundance for our family. Mm -hmm. But I tend to be the one more focused on things like organization and like kind of the running of my business. He runs his business, but then like the family finances and things like I do that piece. Mm -hmm. He does more of the like interactive play and imaginative play and creating of things with our son. Like we both have our different strengths and excitement and things we like and things that we don't. And so the other one tends to balance that out. But if we were looking for like pure equality, and not this idea of like, it all balances out in the end, we wouldn't have made it this far. Because you have to start to see your strengths in the relationship. Mm -hmm. Like, oh, and own that rather than like, oh, I wish this wasn't my role. Because I was at a point early on in our relationship where I was kind of looking for things to be very equal. And when I saw that there Mm -hmm. were differences, like I was much more career driven. Mm -hmm. And that was just not something that was in his blueprint. And I wanted it to be in his blueprint for a while. And Mm. there was definitely some tension around that. And then I got to a point where I saw, oh, we just have totally different approaches to this. And if I release my expectation around that, allow myself to like flourish in that role and he support me and he get to have more freedom and like exploration with his own business. Because at the time I was working for in Mm full-time jobs for other companies. Oh, this balances each other out. So once I came to accept my role and my strengths in the relationship, and then that create a more natural balance and equity, 
that was very different than looking for everything to be equal. Mm -hmm. And I feel like there's a lot of conditioning around like looking for a partner where everything feels equal and try to find safety in that. And I don't think it ex- I don't think that exists. But also there is also the other situation where there's this traditional thing of masculine, feminine roles. Yes. And then there's that. You know, because I find some of the people that I know fall into these situations where they're in a relationship, they've both got careers, and then all of a sudden their husband is then expecting them to take a, you know, if his career is advancing or something, he might want her to take a backseat in her career. And she's like, I don't want to take a backseat in my career. I want to do this. Or I've also seen the opposite where I've had friends who have, they both have careers and she's like, well, I want him to do more because I don't want to work as hard because we have kids now. So, right. <laughs> yeah. Where following one's truth and highest excitements and desires then meets up with our partner. And that mm. point of negotiation is you, such a what, powerful a question way. for you. Would you then say the key to that is knowing what you want when going in a relationship. Because that's what I believe. <laughs> I think, and you have to be flexible, I think. A lot of flexibility. flexibility. So, yeah. I think it's a combination of the two. As much as one can know about oneself in any given moment, because we are constantly evolving and learning. Yes, I think that that's important. But I think what has happened for a lot of people, because I too have had friends who have been really questioning kind of partnership and long-term relationships in their life, is if there's an idea that's held that I must get to a place where I have everything kind of sorted in my life and I know who I am, and then I, I can be ready for a partner, I find that there may have been some people along the way who are really wanting to partner with you, even in the muck of not knowing. And that there's this idea that like one must have everything in order first, you know, to be in relationship. And my experience has been very much the opposite. <laughs> that it was very much not in order. And we sort of learned along the way with one another mm-hmm. in being willing to see the other not at their best mm-hmm. and like grow so, and learn. Okay. So let's talk about this. You know, one of the th- topics, you know, you talk about is breaking free from limiting systems and structures. Yep. This I would say is kind of a limited system and structure because it involves not only the relationship, it involves the finance of the relationship, mm-hmm. you know, whether you want to have kids and, you know, just so many things are involved in a relationship. Now, how does one create a relationship where you break out of the normal structure of society and make this relationship something that's symbiotic for both of you and work? Yeah. So in my experience with that, it's very much been about each other honoring the other's excitements, beliefs, truths, being willing to see them and be open Mm -hmm. to them. It doesn't mean that there's resolution. Oftentimes Mm -hmm. with like the core tenets of relationship, money, sex, Mm -hmm. or like religion or spirituality or like inner journey, those things are constantly being renegotiated. And we learned that when we went through some marriage counseling around the time I got sober. And I thought some of those things you like just decided on and then you moved forward in your relationship and and they just stayed static. No. So it is constant negotiation, seeing one another more openly for who they are. There's a great book, I think it's Conversations with God. And there's a quote Mm -hmm. in there that a friend of mine shared with me recently and it always stuck with me. I want for you what you want for you. 
And it has really stuck with me that in the later parts of our relationship now in our marriage, it's been much more of that. Like in the beginning, it was much more like, this is what I want. And this is what I want from a relationship. And I want you to be able to give this to me. And as we've matured, it's become much more, I want for you what you want for you. And I think if you can create an open space with a partner where you're like, I have enough of a sense of myself. So to your point earlier about like doing that work to figure out who you are as an individual Mm -hmm. and having a strong enough sense of self or an empowered sense of self to be able to really embody that and then meet someone where they are. And then it's a dance. It's a constant, Mm -hmm. I want to use the word negotiation, but it's not that, it doesn't have to be that fraught as you would like imagine a negotiation, but it's just a constant like back and forth. So to your point about, things like money and kids and, you know, things that can seem potentially limiting to one's personal freedom. It's not if you are truly excited about being in that relationship. So Mm -hmm. that's something to really check in with, right? Like as part of my highest excitement, learning and growing through this relationship, no matter kind of what comes up, whether it's something Mm -hmm. around finances or whether it's around something related Mm -hmm. to family oh, this is part of the journey and I'm excited to be on that journey. And I do think that that's something from like a core values perspective that my husband and I both have. We're both excited to get up every day and see what's going to show up in the journey. You talk about, you know, the journey and this concept about defining a radically loved life Mm -hmm. between two people. Would you say the first step to that is finding, you know, I don't want to ask this question, but it's finding the right partner, you'd say? Because sometimes, you know, from what I can gather from what you're telling me is that you and your husband both understand each other and you've both decided to work this relationship out and you're both moving forward and you, you know, there are checks and balances along the way and things that happen, but you're making it work. Sometimes people are in relationships where there's one partner that's trying to do all this and the other partner is like, no, I just want to stick to How does one work through a relationship like that? Well, I think in terms of how I would answer that question, let's say for a Mm -hmm. client, it comes back to cultivating and getting really comfortable in and knowing one's intuition. Because there's so many nuances in relationship that like I know tons of scientific studies Mm -hmm. have been done around attraction and like, Mm -hmm. why are we, you know, and our past experiences and family of origin and maybe even past lifetime experiences and what Mm -hmm. like, we don't know all that we're bringing into in terms Mm -hmm. of how we choose a partner. We can't, I don't think, see all of that. So if we can't see all of that from like a rational mind perspective and really understand like why we're considering a particular person as a partner, then the focus, putting the focus back on self, like Mm -hmm. who am I, what feels really true and right to me, what feels most exciting to me. Mm -hmm. And if excitement is continuing to work on this relationship, like putting in that kind of like effort and I don't love either of those words, work or effort, but focus and attention and prioritization in a relationship. Okay, well then that's still connected to intuition, an intrinsic excitement. I'm actually interested in continuing to see this through. If that's not there, if there's an intuitive part of you that's like, nope, I see where there might be some alignment, but where there's this one difference or where there's like a particular boundary that like, no, I really need that to be met in this relationship and it's not happening. 
then that's a really important moment to prioritize oneself and move on. Mm. So I think it's so much more about like what's coming up through the experience of this relationship and the reflection of this other person for me to know more about myself and then be able to answer that question from one's own truth rather than like external circumstances potentially and the mind, Mm. the rational mind, like things on paper trying to answer that question. That's never where that true guidance comes from. So then, okay, I agree with that. But then what happens in a relationship when the relationship is under stress, you know, either due to finances or just, you know, trust issues? How would you advise a couple to deal with this? You know, how would they deal with this as a unit? Because I feel like sometimes it's easier to deal with things when you're by yourself of course you're not in a relationship which is why which is why a lot of people don't get in relationships because they feel like I just rather do it alone but how would a couple deal with something like this like if they're under financial stress or if they're having relationship issues or it could be fertility issues you know like all sorts of things stress relationships and what would be your best advice like what would be I know it's not a one-size-fits-all no (laughs) but where would they start Really, very similarly to my last answer, Mm -hmm. even if you're living in the same home, let's say, and you're spending Mm -hmm. a lot of time together, taking time to connect to self Mm -hmm. outside of the distractions of the relationship. So like, let's say you've been having lots of conversations about whatever that particular like catalyst is Mm -hmm. in the relationship in that moment. Maybe it means taking a day away from Mm -hmm. the conversations, whether that's like a day for yourself to just like walk or see friends or do something else whatever it is that would like fall in a, any particular person's like realm of taking care of themselves and get some space and distance to check in and like, how am I feeling on my own about this? And then how can I come back into the relationship and have a conversation where I see, can each of us meet each other where we are? And that's really, yeah, it is like the answer to that question. It could be as infinite as each couple, right? It's like so specific Mm -hmm. and nuanced and different for each person. Mm -hmm. And I'm by no means specifically a relationship (laughs) coach either. So relationship comes up in my life coaching with people as it pertains to their relationship themselves. Like how are they getting reflections back in their relationships about the truth Mm -hmm. of who they are Mm -hmm. and their highest excitements. So to me, it always points back to that. Like, what am Mm -hmm. I learning about myself and my truths and how I can maybe show up more clearly in my life Mm -hmm. from the reflection I'm getting back from my Mm -hmm. partner? It's all perfect. And that's the other Mm -hmm. thing to remember in all of this. Any of that kind of contrast or anything that feels like very contracting or triggering or difficult is there for a purpose. Like we Mm -hmm. are creating it through our consciousness to be able Mm -hmm. to heal something, learn something, see something new. So really any partner that comes into our lives is there to teach us something. Yeah, I totally agree with that. I think every partner, everyone we meet in life is here to teach us something, even every situation. And sometimes we don't like it because it can seem really scary (laughs) or, you know, like crazy. But we, you know, I feel like, you know, the universe doesn't give us anything we can't handle. We just have to, you know like strap up and face it. But with that said, I wanted to talk about, let's fair away from relationships and talk about career life plans and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. You you have something where you talk about defining your calling. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, and aligning your life with it. Yep. Now 
a lot of people will say, well, I've got a job. I don't like it. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm doing that job and I don't have money because if I leave my job, I wouldn't be able to. For people listening out there that are in this situation that are thinking, you know, I'd really love to leave my job and do something I really love, you know. And how would they go about doing it? And how would they define what it is they're really called to? So we could probably spend an episode on each one of those, but I will try to give the little most potent nuggets around each of those elements. So I was always confused around this idea of like calling or purpose or, you know, I would understand it more, I think, in the context of somebody who's like drawn to um, Mm -hmm. ministry or um, medicine or something like that, where you feel like it's very like you're there to help and serve people in some way very directly. And when I started working with coaches, they introduced me to a format for developing a calling that was much more open and expansive. So not directly related to like a professional expression, not related to the the job or how you show up and actually do something, but a sentence that defines the essence of who you are when you show up in those moments and like that magic happens. Either somebody's really lit up or you're really lit up. Hopefully you're both really like excited about whatever just transpired whether it's creating something, whether it's a very heartfelt conversation, whether it's helping someone in some way, whatever it might be, where there's that like, those moments in my life are the most fulfilling. And it's usually a feeling. So there's generally sort of like words that describe a particular emotional exchange between two people and like a descriptive word. So a very general, easy one to use is like, oh, my calling is people experiencing love. My first calling when I left my full-time job and went on this adventure and create radical love as a business emerged basically out of a meditation (laughs) a couple months into feeling more free was my calling is people experiencing radical love, like unconditional love, because I ultimately wanted to be experiencing that myself. And I certainly wanted to be able to provide that for others. And I knew in moments where I was having really clear exchanges with others, they were feeling that sense of unconditional love, acceptance. I didn't want them to be anything other than who or what they wanted to be or experience in the world. So it's a statement like that. And it comes more, again, down to the essence of this experience. And then you can build from there. So you can build around your personal relationships. So I started to show up in my relationship with my husband and son and like, wow, if I'm truly coming at this from a radically loved place, rather than a like, let's get all the things done on the Mm to-do list place. (laughs) Well, wow, there's a whole bunch more freedom, acceptance, expansiveness. Like, Mm -hmm. oh, what do you need today? I'm going to get out of my head about my to-do list and what I think we should do today. And maybe the day pivots. Maybe Mm -hmm. we totally do something different that's for my son. Like what would be exciting for him that day? Oh, okay. A radically loved life and people experiencing this unconditional love. Oh, how that looks professionally is oh, maybe I have my own business where I do this with people and it's like flows as a part of my day. So now to your third, I think it was your third point is like, then mm-hmm. what happens when the, your mind is like, yeah. what, how, you know, like, <laughs> this is scary. That sounds scary, right? Like, let's say somebody is in my world coming from advertising and working with creative people, like art directors, designers, creative directors, let's say they've been a designer their whole life and that's how they earn their income, like you said, and that hits that reptilian part of the brain around survival, right? So it makes career pivots 
quite challenging for like the mind, body, spirit, because there's a part, the mind is like, no, no, stay safe. (laughs) Don't try something scary. And the magic happens when we quiet that part of the mind. Mm -hmm. We can walk through some steps to see rationally, no, we would probably still even be okay if we took this risk. And this is the work I do with clients where we really walk through like, what are the barriers? What are the beliefs, the lack beliefs and limiting beliefs holding you back? If that happened, would you still be okay? Yes. Oh, do you have some savings? Or if everything fell apart, could you stay with a friend? Yes. Like literally you kind of have to walk through Mm -hmm. those scenarios to quiet the mind, to then start putting steps in place to move toward, let's say that designer had always been dreaming of having their own creative company Mm -hmm. for kids. And it was based on design, but they were going to collaborate with other people, make products or whatever. Well, then you can start to put steps into place to actually create that business while maybe still having your full-time job. Exactly. So it's not about like ripping the bandaid off. It can be for some people. And there can be a quantum leap and that can be also very exciting. But for most people, it's a gradual step-by-step pivoting more and more into the truth and the excitement. Yeah. So that leads into like what you talk about leaping through hurdles and taking action rather than just thinking about it. But one thing I do know, because even I have this, is we tell ourselves a story all the time. Sometimes that story, unfortunately, is based on past experiences and childhood traumas. And we keep on telling ourselves that story and it prevents us sometimes from achieving our full potential. And sometimes it also stops us from taking action altogether. Absolutely. Because we just keep on like, oh no, I'm not gonna take action. What would you advise someone? Because I've also seen situations where people have a story in mind, then they go against it, they take action. Something happens and they're like, I knew this was going to happen because that was their belief. Sure. But how do they push beyond the belief and think this is just only a hurdle on the way? Yeah. I find one of the most powerful components when that Mm -hmm. starts to happen, because Mm -hmm. oftentimes, inevitably, it does, like you said, because that belief Mm -hmm. is still maybe in there somewhere. And so we do manifest from our beliefs. So, right, understanding and having more self-awareness about our thought patterns is a big part of this, right? We first have to be aware of Mm -hmm. that constructed self and that we have these thoughts and beliefs about ourselves that might not actually be true right? There's somebody else's projection or or something that we've come to believe based on an experience, but might not necessarily be Mm -hmm. never actually or true, (laughs) the true essence of who we are, which is infinite and light and love. So then we go and we move toward our excitement and we try something, but inevitably for various reasons, I think in terms of our relationship with the universe and energy and dynamics and healing, a pattern's going to reemerge, an old belief is going to kind of pop up and play itself out. And the most powerful piece I find in overcoming those or stepping, like kind of like gently hurtling mm-hmm. over them is what I find coaching does, is having support around you. So I am by no means advocating that coaching mm-hmm. is the only way, but whether it's a therapist, whether it's a, a mentor, an advisor, but somebody who truly can be as neutral as possible and has your true interests at heart, not the like, hey, stay safe. Maybe you shouldn't Mm -hmm. do that anymore. Not the limiting version and supporting those stories, but somebody who really neutrally is like, okay, I totally see that you want this and that you maybe have come up against some sort of resistance in your life. But what about this? Like, could you try it this way or who offers an inspiration or an excitement Mm. to then 
create new mo- momentum and movement, which usually leads to more clarity. And then, mm-hmm. and I find this is what happens when we tap more and more into our intuition and our truth. And we start living from that place. Usually our vibratory state raises a bit. So then we're attracting more of that kind of aligned stuff into our lives. And then, yeah, something kind of in contrast to that might show up, but we've had practice trusting our intuition so we can pivot around it, or we can see what it is for what it is, learn from it, and then move on rather than it completely derailing this exciting path that might be emerging. So I really do think it's about surrounding ourselves with community who are like-minded in terms of like following excitements rather than fears and lack beliefs. I like what you said there because, you know, the community thing is so important. And it took a while for even I to understand that, that you have to make a conscious decision. You have to actually consciously decide who your community is and you have to choose people that are heading in the same direction. Because I find a lot of times, you know, we're just floating about thinking, oh, I'm just everyone's friend. And, you know, and there are some people actually in your life that are like propelling, putting fire under your negative beliefs because they want you right there because they want you to stay there. And then there are other people that are going to propel you further and give you more light and openness. So the whole thing boils down to, like you said, knowing what you really want and then going for it and finding a tribe that also are part of that and believing in yourself enough to be able to take the leap. It's absolutely essential. And I didn't understand that. I was really like hyper independent. I was hyper perfectionist from being a ballet dancer. And that's a very like, while you dance together with others, it's also a very independent, like one could call it like an individual Mm -hmm. sport, right? You're like just training your own body. Though you do dance with others. So I was so hyper-focused on like all of my actions were directly related to like my successes or failures. And so until I got sober and I got sober at 32, like until I got sober, I thought I had to do it all on my own. And so I really mm-hmm. didn't have a sense, you know, I'd gone to a therapist, like had sought out individual people for some help mm-hmm. and support, but never that sense of like, oh, wow, we're all in this together in like some sort of group dynamic. And once I got sober, I experienced that like profoundly that there's like communities of people out in the world where we identify with whatever the common message or like the singleness of purpose, like to all be healthier or all to be better together, whatever it might be. And we can support one another, like really just cleanly and clearly. You made an important point there that resonated with me, you know, when you talked about, you know, you thinking you could do it on your own. What I'm finding even for me as a really independent person is learning how to be, I'm very empathetic towards others, but I never think anyone will have empathy towards Mm, me. I know. And I think we all do that to ourselves. That's the biggest hurdle is loving ourselves. Yeah. And loving ourselves enough to be able to ask for help when we need help, to be able to just tell people like, hey, this is what I'm going through. And I think when that happens in our life, we get embarrassed. We start to tell ourselves, you shouldn't be asking people for this. You shouldn't be asking. And being an empath, when someone else comes to you, you're like open arms. You're like, I I totally get you. And the hardest hurdle for me has been understanding that telling people your truth is not necessarily going to push them away. 
you know, like just those people in, I find much more, the more I have been more publicly vulnerable and not that, that exactly. that's not for everybody, but exactly. I have found it phenomenally healing and not from a place of wanting to get anything out of mm-hmm. it. But when I truly show up, I share very publicly about my sobriety, for mm-hmm. instance, because in doing so, people will reach out to me, whether it's over social media, if I post about my anniversary of years or whether it's about a new realization I've had and my gratitude about sobriety. Every time a handful of people reach out to me, personal message, DM me and ask to have a conversation. That would never happen if I didn't share it. But there's that idea in there that like, oh, if I share this, I'm seen as a failure or weak or vulnerable or haven't succeeded in some way. Then well, of course I can't share that. But then we're ending up like holding our breath. The feeling I have around that is this sense of like, exactly. And if we exhale and share, because guess what? Every single person on this planet has gone through difficult things. Of course. Everything is human. It's part of the human experience. But we're so conditioned to believe that there are some people who maybe aren't touched by difficulty. And I think... The moment we do that, it's like the moment you you learn to be able to just open up or just make that connection, everything changes in it your does. life. It just opens a wellspring of other emotions. But we're always, and I think also all this reson- comes from the stories we tell ourselves. Absolutely. And there's shame, right? So yeah. all of this conditioning, again, around like being whatever whatever anybody's version of success is, right? But accomplishing certain things to feel safe mm-hmm. and secure and successful or moving forward. And then let's say for whatever reason you don't in certain parts of your life or you're coming up against some challenges, we're so conditioned to then label that as failure rather than learning. And that goes back to your point about much easier to support and love and be empathetic when, with others than ourselves that's a really powerful moment to practice love and compassion to oneself. Mm-hmm. So I've found meditation is really helpful with that. Again, meditation has a whole host of beliefs <laughs> attached <laughs> to it from people around doing it well or doing it right or succeeding at meditation. There's, I don't think there is such a thing. Mm-hmm. You just do it and you see what happens. And as you do it more and more over time, you get to like have a relationship mm-hmm. with it. But that cultivates a sense of care and compassion, like to just sit with oneself and be okay, like in your own skin with yourself. And there's a multitude of other ways, right? There's a billion books and courses and coaches and therapists Mm -hmm. and friends and like people we interact with to help us move forward through some of that shame. But once we start playing with it and like stepping outside of ourselves just a little bit, now there are certain instances where people have shared vulnerably about something in their life and the response they've gotten mm-hmm. has not been supportive so that that can create more of a story yes, yes. about not doing that. But that's why when I was talking about earlier, that nuance of cultivating community around you that is ultimately mm-hmm. like supportive and quite neutral mm-hmm. in like not projecting mm-hmm. much onto you or wanting a certain outcome for mm-hmm. you. Well, if we do that with those people and we share more and more of our truth in environments that we perceive and experience as safe, well, then it allows us to like continue to play with mm-hmm. that dynamic. And then you can do it more publicly and not yeah. be affected by somebody's crazy comment. Yeah, because one, <laughs> one of the things I find coming from the UK and then moving to America is the subject, for example, of money. Like in somewhere like in the UK, people can tell each other, you can tell a friend, you can tell anyone that you're broke. You don't have money. They'd actually say, I'm skint. It means 
I'm skinned. I don't have money. Yeah. I'm broke. So this week I'm broke, you know. And it's a thing where people just tell their friends that, you know, I'm actually broke. They're not expecting the friend to give them money or loan them money. They just say, oh, I'm broke this week. But I found like living in America, there's such a different relationship to issues like money and people don't say I'm broke because it doesn't make you look good, which is fine. You don't have to go tell everyone you're broke. But I find like money is a big thing here. Yeah. And money can be, I don't want to call it a game changer because I personally don't believe it is. I believe like, you know, if you want to do something, the resources will come. Yes. If you're determined enough. But it can be a game changer sometimes. And the question I want to ask is, how should people relate to money issues? You know, whether Mm -hmm. they don't have enough or they have too much and they're depressed because they have too much. Right. It can be both. It can be either. I love this topic so much. And I've done multiple like workshops with a friend of mine on this topic and talks about it. And I weave it into all of my coaching, of course, because again, the money piece is connected in multiple aspects of this constructed self, but very much to that primal part of the brain that we were talking about then related to income and profession and job and stuff. So it can be very tricky and very triggering to move past certain barriers into our truth and fully expressing ourselves in ways that feel really aligned with that money piece. So I highly recommend a book called Busting Loose from the Money Game. Mm-hmm. The author is Robert Scheinfeld. And it just like breaks open all the paradigms around a consciousness and that we're creating our own experiences. So anything we come to believe about money, we have to realize we're creating. Mm-hmm. Like money only exists as a concept and we all buy into the concept. So we are then playing with it as it exists in this collective consciousness agreement around what money is and the value that it has. But the piece where we then assign value to ourselves in relation to it, that we're creating. We don't have to do that. We have a choice around that. And I didn't know that for years and years and years. So in learning about this, especially very directly and more intensely in the last three years has been so liberating. Like, oh, I am, my worth has nothing to do with the number in my bank account. Zero. And to your point, I had a very well-paying job, my last full-time role that I left. And I now work part-time and then make something comparable to that and work part-time. I use that term just because half the week I'm focused on my business, but I'm obviously teaching my son, which is a whole nother part-time job. But it's this whole loved life that isn't about the numbers in the bank account, but there's more than enough. And it has come flowing in, like you said, from like being aligned with whatever the service to the world is, whatever I'm creating Mm -hmm. and producing and co-creating with others and putting out in the world. And then the next circulation of funds flows in. Oh, look at that. But when we grasp at it and when we believe that it defines who we are, we're making money our higher power. Mm. And money is empty. It's an empty Mm. construct and concept. So if we're giving our truth to emptiness, Mm. that's why it feels that way. Like if you can feel into it energetically and you're like, oh, my relationship with money always feels like, like false. Like there's Mm -hmm. like something that's not true. I'm chasing it. You can just constantly chase it. (laughs) There's always more to chase or you can choose not to. And like live an abundant life and it flows in and it flows out. And again, it's all about this idea of circulation. And when we circulate it in 
and then back out, we then provide a ton of opportunity to circulate it mm-hmm. to places that are much more aligned than like mm-hmm. trying to consume and have a bunch of it and then hold on to it for fear of losing it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That all feels so false. Exactly. And I think societal structures kind of emphasize that fear. Oh, yes. Everyone's like afraid they're going to lose it all. And if they don't have it, what's going to happen? Yes. And I guess in America, it's a very individualistic society. Here. Individualistic and like capitalism gone off the rails. So exactly. Yeah. And I find everyone's just like, Ur. and the, so the system's built like that and it's getting away from that. And I've never been one to like chase money. Like, and as you said, it just flows. I just do what I do. And then, you know, sometimes you do come across challenges in life in general mm-hmm. and you just have to deal with them and you move on and you, and one an exercise I do is it's funny because I always think, what is the worst case scenario? Well, it's so, I was just going to say, so yeah. one of the things in that moment that you were just describing, yeah. right? Like, am I going to be okay? Or like, is, yeah. is it, I'm going to lose it all or whatever um, is truly play that tape out to the end. What uh-huh. would you do if that happened? If you have zero in your bank account or bank accounts or whatever uh-huh. you have, and there's nothing left, where would you go? Who would you turn to? Do you have other resources and support and help? Mm-hmm. There are certain individuals, obviously, who might feel that they come up kind of against a brick wall mm-hmm. when they do this exercise. If you are in a place where you have even a little bit of a window of availability to see into something that's infinite, positive, expansive, there's usually a way. There's mm-hmm. somebody to reach out to. There's some support system. There's a way through it. For many of us, I'm very privileged in my life. I have mm-hmm. supportive parents. I'm mm-hmm. white. I come from the mm-hmm. white suburbs of Minnesota. So mm-hmm. I definitely have that, you know, privilege and that I'm very honest about. I do always have in the back of my head, like mm-hmm. heretofore, I've had a support system in that way. Exactly. But my husband and I, when I did this, like, okay, I'm going to quit my job and we've got three months of savings. Can we like, mm-hmm. we take this leap? <laughs> are, are you willing to do this next crazy thing with me? And he was like, yeah, yeah, let's do it knowing you'll be happier and feel more free, Mm -hmm. I think will lead to more positivity for all of us. Of course, always. Great. Okay, let's do it. But we played it out and we have this joke. There's like a Chris Farley skit from Saturday Night Live about living down by the river in a van. And we use that for like, that's our little catchphrase to be like, even if we had to live in a van, which also many people are doing by choice now and creating a lot of freedom in van life and traveling the world and getting rid of your possessions. So that now has been hacked to be an incredibly positive, like visual for me, mm-hmm. well, then that would be amazing. We would downsize everything. We would have even fewer expenses. And so we even contemplated that, like being very nomadic. And we happened to find a beautiful place for us to kind of settle mm-hmm. here now that we're in Richmond, Virginia. But like, if you play it all the way out to the end, there's usually actually a fun nugget in that too. Like, oh, wait, I could actually make that fun. Yeah. And what I find also is also when you get the adversity or you get the blocks or you get the something, sometimes it's the push to where you're supposed to be going. 100. It absolutely is. Like sometimes it's the push because sometimes you you're meditating on something, you're dreaming on something, you're working towards something, but you're stuck in your old ways. Usually until things fall away, it doesn't need to be this case for everybody. And many people that I work with come to me before things have like Mm -hmm. really gotten harried. But for me, I was certainly at a place right before I got sober where I felt like my relationship was falling apart. I was not showing up professionally in the ways I knew I could, like things were getting really rough around the edges and I could have very well lost my relationship and my job, et cetera. And you get to that point 
of like, things are falling away to see, oh, I really need to make a shift and a change here. So I have found those moments in life to be the greatest teachers and the greatest gifts. The fun part comes when you've either experienced enough of them or you become self-aware enough because it's not necessarily about life experience or time because people wake up to this. I'm finding young people are waking up to this much more quickly that this truth of self is, oh, this is not a line for me. I am going to have faith and trust that even this is uncomfortable, it's unclear, I'm confused, it's scary. I don't know what's going to happen. Like I'm rounding a dark corner and I don't know what's coming next, but I'm going to trust and have some faith and have fun even Mm -hmm. in turning this corner. And that I find is like self-realization. Like, oh, I am okay no matter what. Exactly. And as we talk about self-realization, I find one of the biggest things that affects people is what actually other people think. Yeah. So they're going through something and they're like, oh my God, what's everybody going to say? What's everybody going to say? Nobody cares as much as you think they care. That's what I say. They're That's all what I focused say. on themselves. That's how we're like I constructed. Say. I think the brain is just That's very. What I say. <laughs> the two rules I go by, I go by nobody cares as much as you think they care and people forget quickly. Very quickly on to the next. And also, yeah. and this is a core tenant in many, many spiritual teachings. And like, mm-hmm. we can use that word really, really incredibly mm-hmm. openly, but nothing is actually personal. Mm-hmm nothing is personal. Everything we're getting back from others is a projection from their own subconscious, their own own experiences, their everything that they're projecting their own fears or concerns or whatever onto you. So if we realize that nothing is personal, both Mm -hmm. the positive and the, let's say like negative feedback or whatever, it's all really quite neutral. What matters most is how we feel. And you know, that word neutral is very powerful because It's one of those things where when you can become neutral to what is going on around you, like not being affected by what people are saying, what they're doing. I mean, obviously you have to have a sense of what's going on around you, but not don't get affected by like every time someone says something bad, you're like, oh my God, then you go 10. Because I I have friends like that, that they can't take any negative criticism. Yeah. You know, some of them, it really, really affects them. You of know, if any, if, even at work, if a boss just says something, I'm like, doesn't matter. You know, that's there just, could be 10 things going on for that boss or within the yeah. organization that actually created the chain mm-hmm. reaction for then that feedback to come to you for whatever exactly. reason about your role. Mm-hmm. It's probably more about the system and structure and the people within it yeah. rather than you personally. And in those moments, you have a choice. Mm-hmm. And that too, right? Like, are we triggered, like knee-jerk reaction exactly. trigger? Or can we take a breath, say, okay, this is probably not personal, though I know it's being directed at me. Am I willing to take this on and either change whatever is being asked of me? Or do I really not agree with this and I have a choice to leave? And mm-hmm. that rarely comes up. You know, there's this sense of like, I need to take on what's being... And this could be true of something like even commentary on social media or whatever. Like I can choose to pause and either respond from a place of clarity because it feels like it would be productive to do so or not at all and just let it go or sign off for a while or whatever, right? So we have choices and I find it takes this cultivating of awareness of self and Mm -hmm. thoughts to be like, I'm, this is triggering me, but I'm not going to react. I'm going to pause for a minute. Another thing I wanted to talk about which goes in line with what we're talking about is the imposter syndrome. So 
in line with everything we've been talking about, I guess the main thing is that it all starts with our thoughts about ourselves. 100%, right? And recognizing how powerful that organ is and understanding its purpose and role. And it's certainly there beautifully doing all of these incredible things, A, in terms of like the functioning of our body and the things we're even not aware of, but very rationally and pointedly getting us from point A to point B. But if we start trusting getting from point A to point B, and then all of the other information we've taken in from outside sources as sort of being our only truth, that like that's real and that's who we are, rather than cultivating a sense of self that's quiet, our Mm -hmm. sense of self before words. Like when we were born, when we are born, we exist without words and we're conscious Mm -hmm. and we, we, you know, might have not have memory of that time but you can see it in other very young babies. Like, oh, they're conscious, Mm -hmm. they're aware, they're existing, and yet they don't have words yet attached to it. So if we can cultivate that truth of ourselves, that quiet, constant, ever-present, like immovable, very powerful place, well, then all the things that happen with the words part of the mind, where we start labeling things and then believing things and assigning emotion to things, We can have a much more neutral relationship with that whole experience and then do all the things that you and I have talked about on this call, whether it's working with somebody who inspires you and you step through some scary things or whether Mm -hmm. it's looking at your relationship with money or looking at your relationships with people and moving forward in your life in ways that feel more and more and more aligned. I think that that is the key component is awareness, like Mm -hmm. self-awareness and then knowing that you are not your thoughts. And also realizing that some, as we talked earlier, like some people are just not meant to be in your life. Because I find that once you start doing all those things, you start getting rid of a lot of people because you just, yeah, because you just realize that. It's about alignment. It's about alignment. It's no more harsh or dramatic Mm -hmm. than that. I think the mind can also attach like, oh, if I move into this new state of like self-awareness or Mm self-realization and I do some of this inner work and I connect more to myself and then I realize some of these people or situations are not aligned in my life, will it be dramatic, right? Will Mm -hmm. there be like fights or people fall away very dramatically? And I have found that not to be true the majority Mm -hmm. of the time that it's very gentle, that you may just point your attention toward other aspects of Mm -hmm. your life and you just might not see those people as much. You still love them, you wish them well, or whatever, it might be situations, it might be an organization Mm -hmm. or a role, and you step away with integrity, calmly, quietly. It does not have to be a big dramatic thing. And that's been such a relief to me. Like, oh, I can pivot at any moment away from things that are no longer aligned. And it doesn't have to be like Mm -hmm. the movie version. (laughs) <laughs> the movie version is not actually <laughs> exactly exactly because that's that's exactly what I do like when I find in my life now when I find people are manipulative or they're like insincere I just slowly pivot away where once upon a time I'd be really pissed off I'd be like I'd like want to have the conversation <laughs> I'd want to let you know about yourself I'd want to now I just like <laughs> Which every once in a while, there's a need for that kind of yes. pointed conversation for sure. If uh-huh. like something needs to be expressed to be healed or to mm-hmm. like be clarified mm-hmm. for oneself. But barring that. I find myself only ever doing that if I think you mean something in my life. If I, you're really important and 
you know, other, other, but if you're just someone that I think, you know, like a boss or someone like that, I'm just, I'll just let you be yourself. Yep. Yep. That's beautiful. But Benita, it's been a pleasure having you on the podcast. I mean, we could talk forever and ever. I'm getting some coaching as I'm talking to you right now. (laughs) (laughs) That's what I've been getting. I've been asking you questions and getting some coaching. It's been amazing. So where can people find you if they want to find you? Absolutely. They can find me most easily through my website, which is createradicallove.com. And there's information there about my coaching approach and my consulting. And there's a contact form so you can reach out to me there. Um, I also have a newsletter. So there's a sign up for that there. And then on social media, I'm Benita Condi on Facebook and on Instagram, Benita underscore Condi. Those are the easiest Mm -hmm. places. So guys, you've got all Benita's social media handles. If you're wondering how her last name is spelt, it's C-O-N-D-E. And you can find her at Benita underscore Condi. Benita underscore Condi. And on Facebook, it is Benita Condi. Benita Condi. Benita, thank you very much for coming on Beauty on the Beat. It was a pleasure having you. I had such a great, I needed that today, right? It was so inspiring. Yeah, I feel totally yeah. lit up. So this is a yeah. perfect example, right? You have these yeah. exchanges and it's like, oh, this is right and true. Yeah, um, I really needed that to be really honest. Thank you so much. Oh, my pleasure. Thank you.